This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. From NPR, it's been a minute. I'm Elise Hugh in for Sam Sanders, and I tell you, it cannot be easy to steal scenes from Emmy Award-winning actor and former Saturday Night Live star Bill Hader. But that's exactly what Anthony Kerrigan does. Hey, man, you must be Betty. I'm NoHo Hank. Kerrigan is the man who plays NoHo Hank, the lovable bad guy on HBO's Barry. It's about a hitman, played by Hader, who wants to turn straight by becoming an actor. NoHo Hank is a Chechen mobster who, yes, does get involved in torture and threats and extortion. He looks the part, too, bald, covered in tattoos. But Hank is also unflappably positive. Hey, man. Are you seeing this beautiful morning? Even when Barry tries to kill him and his fellow henchmen. You know, buddy, I have to be honest. I'm quite a bit angry, but I'm going to put that aside for now because rage is counterproductive, yes? And I know if the situation were reversed, I probably would have done the same thing you did. You did do what I did. You tried to kill me. Okay, well, now we're getting a little he said, she said. Critics raved about Anthony Kerrigan's breakout performance in season one of the show, and season two of Barry just premiered on HBO. Anthony also stars as the villain Victor Zaz on Gotham. We sat down at NPR here in Culver City to talk about his journey, the difference between fame and success, the challenges he's faced because of his appearance, and how he's found empathy for villains after playing so many charismatic criminals. I read that you got married last year, and your wife is of, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. And your wife is of Eastern European descent? Uh, Yes. Yes, she's from Serbia. So can she help you with your accent? Does she help you with your accent? I mean, yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, her accent's very different from, you know, from... Chechnyan? Yeah, from Chechnyan. Um, Yeah, she's she's a professional chess player. Whoa. Uh, Yeah, or, I mean, she used to be. She's kind of, you know, figuring out what she wants to do next, but it's like, yeah, she's a pro chess player, and... um, Do you play chess? Beautiful. I try. It's a wonderful game. I feel like it's very overwhelming. But actually, one of the fascinating things that I've learned playing chess is that the way you play chess is kind of like the way you live your life, right? It's a huge indicator of the choices that you make, of how you feel about yourself, of how you kind of make decisions. For me, for instance, I get very overwhelmed because there's so many options. Okay. So I tend to kind of like shut down. So it's actually good and it's funny because the more I play chess and the more I force myself to like make those decisions, the better I am doing that in my life, weirdly. And how does she play chess and how does how is that indicative of your wife's personality? Well, she plays chess like a genius. So <laughs> So she is a genius. So she is a genius in life. And so I, I really kind of look up to her in, in all regards, actually. How did y'all meet? We met on the subway in New York. No way. Yeah, way. Totally. And and not in a creepy way. I mean, I, I <laughs> yeah, I wasn't like, you know, hey, what's up? 
Yeah, do you take this train a lot? <laughs> no, it was um, it was really funny. It was the summer solstice uh, a few years ago, and it was the hottest day of the year. Okay. And so I was waiting for the train, and I see this beautiful, uh, beautiful woman, and I'm like, oh wow, she's she's gorgeous. And I kind of stop paying attention. I get on the train, and then at the next stop, I get out, and I'm you know making my way to the exit, and then I realize that I got off on the, on the wrong stop. Oh. You know, because I wasn't paying attention. Okay. And I was like, oh, it's too hot. It's too hot to walk like those 10 blocks away from the next train. And I turn around and she's still standing there on the subway platform. She had gotten off too. Yes, yeah, she got off too. And apparently, so she had gotten on the wrong train. She she got on the F train. Wow. She was supposed to be on the M train. So she got off to wait for the next one. And we we're the only two people on the subway platform. It's kismet. So I was like, I got to go talk to her. So I essentially went up to her and I was like, I got off on the on the wrong stop. <laughs> that was your I, like, that was your opener. You? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I messed up. You know, <laughs> I yeah, I was just very. I've embarrassed uh, myself. I've embarrassed myself. What about you? And she was like, yeah, me too. So we started talking, and then yeah, I got a number by the next stop. So whatever. Oh then, my uh, gosh. Yeah, it was it was really lovely. Except you don't play chess together. Because oh, oh, I mean, no, I, I love playing chess with her. It, it used to be really hard for me because it was just like so overwhelming, that game. But uh, but no, but I... I You've really, improved. I've improved. Yeah, I think I've improved. That's fantastic. And you can probably teach people on set because there's a lot of waiting around on sets from what I understand. Oh, there's a ton of waiting around but on set. But are there enough cerebral people to sit down and... I think so. I bet, I'm, I'm sure... Bill I'm Hader. Sure, I'm sure Bill Hader would be, you know, f- fantastic at chess. And then I have to ask you, there's tattoos all over Noho Hank's body and some on his knuckles. Yeah. What do the knuckle tattoos say? So the knuckle tattoos, okay, so the they're all kind of like prison tattoos, okay. which is like we have to be, you know, very careful because like real prison tattoos, you know, can you don't want get to you in big trouble. signal anything. Right. right. So they're kind of on the fringe, let's say. Uh, but the, the knuckle tattoos are actually chess pieces. Oh, and that's a nod to your wife? Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, they're chess pieces and, you know, it's a kind of uh, representative of like always, you know, always trying to stay one step ahead of your enemy. For folks who don't know Noho Hank, he is a villain, a Chechen mobster with a heart of gold. Yes. To me, how would you describe him? I would describe him, yeah, very much like that. Uh, I think he's... It's this crazy kind of juxtaposition because he's uh, obviously a gangster, a Chechen gangster, <laughs> but he's also, you know, in like super tight pants, polo shirts, and he's just, you know, very uh, optimistic and uh, and lighthearted. He offers juice boxes. He sends bitmoji. He loves catering to people. I mean, he's just a people pleaser, you know, and uh, <laughs> th- that can make things difficult when you have to work in, in crime. How'd you get the part? The, the cool thing was that I, I actually only went in one time. The stressful thing about being an actor is, like, you, you have to kind of audition again and again and again. You know, you go in one time, and you go in again for a director, and then again for producers, mm-hmm. and then again and again and again. And even at the table read sometimes, you can get cast out of the table. You can get, you know, fired from a table read wow. reading because it's, you know... I don't know. It's that that the chemistry's intense. not there. Or... Yeah, or you first, you know, so everyone's really stressing out all the time. But I went in once, and uh, and they sent my tape off to Bill and Alec, and so that was great. And then Bill called me after my audition, 
And he was like, dude, that was so great. And, um, oh man, when you said this line, that was so funny. And dude, the way you did this was great. And so he kept on saying this stuff. And in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to do this again. <laughs> like I'm going to have to go in and audition again. And the more you tell someone what they did right, the more you're in your head about mm. it. And you know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like if I were to say, like, you remember that that joke that you did? And, you know, just do it. Do it again. And be <laughs> that, you know, you, you remember when you were hilarious? Just do that. And it's it's it. It's awful. It completely ruins you. So, you know, so it was nice to just kind of have like one and one and done. I'm so glad you're sharing this side of it because I wrote to Alec last night. Yeah. Alec Berg, the showrunner. And I asked him about your audition. Oh, nice. And he wrote me this. Oh, cool. A little surprise for you. The thing that we noticed right away was how he listened. It's a good lesson for actors. The way he read his lines was awesome, but the way he listened when he wasn't speaking, how he clearly cared and was interested in what Barry had to say, that's what we loved. He owns that character entirely. He understands who he is and what he wants. He shows up prepared, knows his lines, but has thoughts about what else could happen. When you throw something new at him, he's so versed in the character that he can immediately take whatever you give him and make it work. That's from Alec Berg. Wow, Green. that's, I'm, wow, choked up. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, uh, that's so sweet. He is actually choked up, y'all. I mean, we're on radio, so you can't see, but. I'm at least bright red. That's, <laughs> that's for sure. No. Maybe sweating, you know, I don't know. It, it is a lot of life that you bring to that character. And it turns out Bill Hader, we should talk a little bit about Bill Hader because it turns out he's an amazing actor, which a lot of folks didn't know. It's so funny how people didn't know that. I mean, like I knew instantly from watching him on SNL, like I was like, oh, this guy can do anything. You know, it just there there's so many ideas that are just constantly kind of like tumbling out of him and uh, him coming from the world of of, uh, like SNL, you know, he's kind of one to really just come up with stuff on the spot. And I love that. I love just like thinking and responding. And yeah, he throws me some curveballs sometimes. And it's, it's like very uh, terrifying. <laughs> but you know, because you're just you have no idea, you kind of just have to reach into the void. And that's when being well versed in your character where you kind of just like put on that that skin and then you just live in it and you respond as it but yeah it's 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 crazy it's uh very terrifying so does it come naturally for you how to respond as noho hank it is yeah i mean i think it took uh, cuz i i fortunately had like a few months to build this character from the ground up and you know went to acting school for all that stuff so it's like i was you know incorporating all of these different you know techniques like animal techniques where you kind of make your character based on an animal and then like build it back and you know just i built like a whole life for this guy and so i i'm really i'm really attached to him i feel like i've seen some of those animal exercises yes. from kusta now Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So actually on the show, there's an actor's studio. Oh, for sure. I know that. I know that world very well. (laughs) Absolutely. So it's kind of a parody of that, if you know the world. Yes. Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, and what's cool, too, is that, like, you know, it's really fun to kind of, like, laugh at that world because it's so ridiculous. But it also makes sense that Barry is, is so drawn in to kind of that world because, you know... If anyone who's taken an acting class realizes that, wow, this is like a real family, it's a real community, you actually feel like you're part of something. And uh, those bonds that you create, it's, you know, it's incredible. And it occurs to me that some acting requires elements of therapy. 
there's talk about kind of Barry opening his wound and how you're supposed to open your wounds. Yes. In acting to kind of get closer to a character. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, acting is all about relatability and finding empathy for a character, which is essentially kind of, you're finding empathy with a part of yourself, which is a part of a character that was written by someone else, Mm -hmm. which was essentially kind of a part of them as well, because it was a voice in their head that they wrote down. And then so you're kind of, you know, experiencing empathy through a character, through this person who wrote the character with another actor who's who's doing the exact same thing with their character. So, you know, I could probably draw you a diagram. <laughs> we'll probably make this is it getting easier. very meta. <laughs> very meta. Exactly. <laughs> I know. But yeah, but getting back to your question, I think, uh, you know, you kind of do have to go go deep. Time for a break. When we come back, how Anthony grappled with a condition that he was told would derail his acting career. We'll be right back. Support for NPR and the following message come from VSP Individual Vision Plans, offering coverage for a low monthly cost if you don't have vision coverage through an employer. You'll get access to the nation's largest network of independent doctors and hundreds of name brand frames. Plus, you can save more than $200 a year. VSP believes you deserve to see better for life for less. Discover for yourself at needvspcoverage.com. Hey there, before we get back to the show, here's a podcast for you to check out this month. Ask Me Another is celebrating women in comedy every Friday in April. You'll hear Russian doll star Greta Lee, who I hope you heard on this show recently, along with the show's co-creator, Leslie Headland, plus Retta from NBC's Parks and Recreation, and more to come. Women in comedy all this month on Ask Me Another from NPR. For our audience that can't see you, you have a certain look. I do. No hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. Yep. But you didn't come to Hollywood with this appearance. No. Tell us about your journey and what happened. Yeah, so I um, I have alopecia. Mm-hmm. That's uh, an autoimmune condition. I don't like to say disease because I don't feel like I'm diseased. Uh, so it's a condition. And uh, it's like your immune system is confused. So... It attacks the hair follicles, and so your hair falls out. And I, I know I had it since I was three years old, and it would just kind of affect whenever I would just have, like, patches that would fall out. And then um, and then at a certain point, it progressed, um, you know, to kind of all of my hair falling out. And when I started acting, I just had spots. And so I went into this industry just being like, I can keep a lid on this thing. No one has to know about it. I can just cover it up. It'll be fine. And it was really stressful because when it did start to kind of come out, it was actually during a series that I was on. Wow. And I lost like half my hair about halfway through and both eyebrows and most of my eyelashes. So we were just trying to kind of make me look how I used to look, you know, when I first started the series. And especially in an industry that is so much about image. I was so terrified that people were going to find out and that people were going to judge me and that people were going to reject me. And like, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. I mean, <laughs> people were just pretty mean and they were like, you're never going to work again. You're not as attractive anymore. You're just, you know, you're never going to get hired. I'm so sorry. You should probably think about something else to do. Wow. And on the one hand, I mean, it's sure it's it's terrifying to kind of hear someone say the thing that you're most afraid of, you know, but on the other hand, it's kind of liberating, too, because once you hear it said out loud, you're like, oh, well, 
it's finally been said and I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And it, it, yeah, it, it was a process of, of real self-acceptance. And um, because, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to kind of become what I, what I am today if I didn't kind of accept myself completely. So, you know, unpacking all that shame and stuff took a lot of time, but it really just requires you standing in your own truth even if you can't see like the light at the end of the tunnel, mm-hmm. you just have to be in your own corner. How did this change your career path? I mean, obviously you are you play two villains now, so right. I imagine you kind of get typecast as villains. Yeah. Um, but did it change your offers in any way? Obviously, your career has really taken off with Barry. But... <laughs> yeah. Oh, it sure has. I mean, I, I had an idea that you know, I mean, the bald guy just kind of plays the villain. Like that's just one of those tropes. Um, but uh, I think playing the villain is, in a lot of ways, way more fun than playing the hero. There's a lot more lessons in playing the villain than there is in playing the hero. I mean, the the villain is essentially just kind of like a warped version of the hero. You know, they think that they think that they're kind of doing what's right in their mind, mm-hmm. but you know. But playing a villain can easily become kind of cartoonish. So yes. how do you play a villain well? Uh, well, I think it's. I mean. Any villain has to be kind of rooted in humanity, you know. Playing a villain well, I think, is just about understanding pain. And villains are essentially just living in a state of pain in which they can't really get out of or escape it. And so they're kind of responding with cruelty. But they, that's it's how the world has treated them. So it's like, can you blame them? Yes. Yeah, you can probably blame them. Absolutely. But... Uh, <laughs> Because there's a lot of torture and death and violence along. <laughs> right, because yeah, it's like no, never mind, kids. Don't no, don't 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 empathize with the villain. But uh, but no, there's certainly a lot of lessons though that you can kind of learn from them. I was telling one of the coworkers yesterday, Noho Hank is coming in tomorrow. <laughs> and then folks who didn't know who you, who the character was, I said, um, he's the bad guy on Barry. And one of my coworkers goes, Noho Hank isn't a bad guy, uh, which is to say. <laughs> Right, right. That despite all the death and destruction, there is a heart there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Hank, you know, for all he's just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy this season, you see some new new shades of him. And I think part of that's just because of the situation he's in. It's a very pressurized situation. He's kind of backed into a corner. Mm. And the darkness definitely comes out. But it seems like you have this understanding that people are complex and people aren't bad, but our behaviors are bad or our reactions can be bad. Yeah, it's it's when things kind of compound and life can just get to you. And, and it's, you know, everyone has their own story of where they're coming from and like, sure. you know, what what they have going on and what they have on their plate. And it's, a, it's an important exercise, too, to just be like, OK, this person's not being very nice to me. And rarely do we have the wherewithal to be like, okay, this person, the DMV is like (laughs) being awful to me. I actually love the women at the DMV. I mean, everyone at the DMV is great. I just, This is a big shout out to the women. This is a huge shout out to the women at the DMV. California DMV. Love them. Seriously. I went there on my birthday. It was great. (laughs) Like I had to go there on my birthday for my driver's license. They were so sweet. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, when you, when someone's kind of going through something difficult, it's hard to take a step back. And actually just say, oh, okay, this person might be dealing with something really, really hard. So maybe I'll give them a break and not react, you know, negatively to them if they're treating me negatively. But it's hard. Yeah. You know, usually it just kind of like spreads like wildfire. 
Right, because you're reactive, then I'm reactive. And, and then, then you take that and you kind of, you know, whatever. Right. Your barista is like makes a mistake on your name. You're just like, whoa. My name I just is go not, with my name Benji. Not, yeah, exactly. Just always be Benji at Benji. Starbucks. Right. Nobody else is ever a Benji. Right, yes. And you just have to remember that that's your Starbucks name. Yes. Because when they call it and you don't respond. And you don't respond, then you're in trouble. Right, it gives right. it away. And, yes. And you'll lose your coffee. Okay, Benji, nice. Back to Hank real quick. You mentioned that Hank is getting darker in season two, or we're seeing his darker side. We're seeing his pain more. Will that lead the audience to not root for him as much? Because we're really on Hank's side with season one. Well, I think the kind of beautiful thing about Hank is he <laughs> he doesn't really, I don't know, he's kind of like a goldfish. He, you know, he can be one way and then like the next, in the, in five minutes, he's like totally fine. And no kind memory. Of back to normal. Yeah, he's like, like no memory. And so he's he's totally back to just being like a sweet, lovable goofball. Okay, so we'll still love him. I I hope so. I hope so, yeah. Time for one more break. In a minute, Anthony's path to L.A. and how he defines success after his breakout role in Barry. Support for NPR and the following message come from WordPress.com. With powerful site-building tools and thousands of themes to choose from, WordPress.com lets their users pursue what they love by launching a site that's free to start with room to grow. Their customer support team is made of actual WordPress experts who are standing by to help you 24 hours a day, including weekends. And WordPress users own their content forever. Get 15% off any new plan purchase at wordpress.com slash minute. What does it take to turn an idea into reality, even when no one else believes you can? I'm Guy Raz. Every week on How I Built This, I speak with innovators about their influential brands and the stories behind them, the failures, triumphs, and everything in between. Let's go back in time a little bit. You grew up outside of Boston. Yep. Do you remember catching the acting bug? Uh, yeah. I mean, kind of. I, I started acting when I was a little kid. Um, just How doing, little were you? I was like eight, nine years wow. old. Um, but not, not you know, professionally. It's just kind of children's theater. Mm-hmm. And I, I was such a shy kid. Like, I really... I really had a hard time opening up. I would always wear a hat just like below my brow and no one could really see my eyes. And I was just spoke very quietly. And uh, and it was when I kind of got on stage that I actually felt like I could come out of my shell a little bit. And it was through, you know, playing characters and dressing up and and just kind of being silly that I felt like I could kind of express myself in this way. So it was really cool. I, I loved. Um, yeah, I, I, I really loved that. It's interesting to me, though, to hear that you were a shy kid who liked acting because typically if you're shy, you don't want to put yourself in front of people and perform on stage. So did your parents encourage you to do this to help overcome your shyness or did you find that you liked it um, after you learned that it helped you? Um, I think that uh, I mean, my my parents were certainly very, uh, very supportive and um, they had to sign you up for these. things. Yeah, they had to sign me up for it. And I think. You know, I, I was kind of surprised by it that like I that I actually liked doing it. I think I was just very scared as a kid. You know, I was very worried that I was just gonna, you know, whatever, embarrass myself or something. You ended up so from theater as an elementary school student all the way through to college. You studied drama mm-hmm. at Carnegie Mellon. Yep. Do you? How did you get there from the East Coast out here to LA? Yeah, I mean, okay, so I did the children's theater thing, 
And then um, did Shakespeare camp over the summers. Okay. Yeah. Project Shakespeare, uh, which is amazing. It's out of New Hampshire now, but it was in Boston. And um, yeah, I went to Carnegie Mellon, had a blast there. Um, yeah. And once I graduated, I, I actually, you know, I had representation immediately. I was very kind of fortunate in that regard. And I worked in New York for, for a few years doing theater and Law and Order. Did my time on had Law and Order. Had to do Law and Order. Had, had to do it. I had to do it. Who were you on Law and Order? I was the bad guy, obviously. <laughs> but you hadn't, your condition really hadn't gotten serious by then, right? You still were. Yeah, it, it had. You still had hair on your head. I still had hair. I had actually like very long hair. Um, but, but I you still, still had, got cast as a bad guy. I still got cast as a bad guy, exactly. Um, so yeah, so, you know, I think starting out in New York was was great because I feel like they... You know, not a lot of actors will just move to New York to be famous. That's not, you know, they they, they move to New York because they're like, okay, I really want to see if I can do it. Whereas, you know, Los Angeles people kind of move here a lot of the time to... To make know, it. To, well, to make it, yeah, but also to be famous, you know, and to be a And you see them as two different things. I think so, yes. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you're... Tease that out for me. What's the difference between making it for you and then being famous? When you're trying to make it, I think you're really challenging yourself because you're you're playing really difficult characters with maybe a lot uh, more challenging material, and to be able to kind of hang in with with really seasoned actors with really amazing people and to kind of you know actually work is you know that's a testament. Whereas I think when someone wants to become a celebrity, they care more about you know, the red carpet and being a personality and, you know, all that stuff is fine. But I so prefer just to kind of work and and have fun and, and bring characters to life. You know, nothing wrong with the red carpet. It's fine. Talk a little bit about that because you found yourself at your first Emmys last year. I did. What was that like? It was nuts. It's did you huge. feel like you had made it? I don't know. It's kind of a strange metric to kind of be like, oh, I've made it. I've arrived. I can relax now, <laughs> you know? But it's 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 crazy, though. It's crazy doing the the red carpet scene and and having to come up with answers and, and have that kind of spotlight put on you. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's fun. So you just said that this doesn't give you a sense of arrival, like, hey, I've arrived. Is there a marker for you, a place that you're kind of getting to as you charge up the hill? I imagine you feel like you haven't gotten there yet. So what's your next goal? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's actually probably something I should really, <laughs> I should really uh, come to terms with myself. What are my goals? <laughs> yeah, what are my goals? Let's hash it out right now. Do you guys have a notepad? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think- We got time. Yeah, exactly. I, I think uh, you don't ever want to like, just be like, okay, I made it. Now I can coast. You know, I, I feel like that's kind of just giving up. I, I want to continue to kind of push the envelope. I want to continue to kind of create- fun characters and yeah. and do different things and make dynamic choices. And I imagine you've established some good relationships with the people that you're working with now that will also stay in the business. So yes. these things kind of become it's, a cycle. It is. Yeah, it's so cool. And and with each of those things, I mean, the bonds that you form in an acting class or, or you know, doing a play mm -hmm. or doing a movie or TV series, like, you know, it's like having a family. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, when that thing kind of ends, you all kind of disperse, but you stay really good friends with these people. Mm. And then all of a sudden, it's like you see them again on another project yeah. in a different kind of costume, in a different 
uh, in a different light after many years or something. And it's really cool to kind of just keep seeing all of your peers, you know, dipping in and out of your life in a, you know, in a professional setting. Did we get to how you ended up coming to L.A.? What shifted in your mind that led you to come out here? Was it, it wasn't even like a shift in, in that. It was, it was actually just kind of uh, with work. I was like, when I get a job that brings me out here, I will. And uh, and that's kind of what happened. It was like my first series. And it was actually a series that all my hair started falling out. Mm. So, yeah, it was pretty surreal. That was my first introduction to Los Angeles was being like super stressed and having all my hair fall out. And it taught you a lot, right? I imagine. So one question that I have for you about this journey that you've been on and coming out here and then losing all your hair on the big job that you moved out here for. Yeah is what have you learned about yourself? This is a place where, and an industry, where image consciousness is a big deal, appearance matters. What have you learned about self-acceptance? I mean... And just being comfortable in your own skin, because that's something I think we all deal with, irrespective of whether we're actors. Right. Well, first of all, it's a practice. It's amazing how much we kind of get down on ourselves. And the way that we talk to ourselves, it's like you would never talk to anyone like that. Mm. And yet we find ourselves talking to, you know, to ourselves in a way that's so demoralizing and, and just belittling and and, uh, and mean. And it, it's it's like, why why do that? You wouldn't treat anyone that way. So kind of envision yourself as your best friend. And yeah, that really, I mean, it's amazing once you kind of, really start to champion yourself that you start to see you know you start to see the world in a different light and you start to kind of see that oh wow no I actually I can do this okay real quick before we let you go how do you do the hey man will you teach it to me yes yes absolutely um okay so real quick it's um you want to like deliver a k sound with with the hey so hey hey man you know hey Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, that's it. That's it. You got it. Hey, Barry. Yeah. Body. 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 Hey, Barry. Yeah, Barry. Okay, Barry. Barry's my best friend. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's funny. You know, once I kind of start to get into NoHo Hank, it's it's hard to kind of put him down. Anthony Kerrigan, I so enjoyed our conversation. This was great. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to Anthony Kerrigan. Barry Season 2 is on Sunday nights on HBO. Listeners, I'm in the host chair again this week for our weekly wrap on Friday. If you want to be part of that episode, please don't forget to share the best thing that's happened to you all week. To do that, record yourself and email the audio file to the show at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You might hear it in Friday's episode. Until then, I'm Elise Hugh. Thanks for listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. For the battle of your soul. We got a This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from the run through with Vogue. Listen as designers, Vogue editors, and industry icons like Erica Badu and Florence Pugh have in-depth conversations about fashion and culture. New episodes are released each Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.